The Healthy Golf Podcast, Episode 24, with Jeff McDonald. Welcome to the Healthy Golf Podcast, a podcast designed to help you transform your golf game and your life. Join your host, Dr. Joe O, as he chats with experts on all things golf performance to keep you feeling great and playing your best on and off the course. Before we get into this week's episode with Jeff, I just wanted to let everyone know that there is a growing community of healthy golfers over on Facebook. And if you're not part of that group just yet, I'd love for you to be a part of that group. The link to join the community is in the show notes. So please feel free to join if you're not in the group just yet. Also, I put together a resource of nine free workouts to improve your golf performance. I'd love for you guys to take advantage of this. It is... Uh, great going into this off season so you can be better prepared for the upcoming season next year so you can play the best golf of your life but also reduce your risk of injury and just overall feel better and healthier off the course the link to grab that resource is also in the show notes once you sign up for it it will be sent directly to your email that's it for the announcements let's get into the episode with jeff enjoy welcome to another episode of the healthy golf podcast we have another return guest. We have Jeff McDonald with us. For those of you who didn't catch Jeff's first episode, that was episode nine, where we talked about how he works with junior golfers on all levels, but particularly uh, his elite golfers. But Jeff is a uh, PGA coach. He is the director of instruction at Ashburn Golf Club. And uh, welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks for having me on again, Joe. Looking forward to, to uh, chatting. And uh, like I said, I, I pulled out the... Uh, Phil yeah. Fireside chat here, so uh, let's give that a go. Yep. For anyone who's not watching this live, yeah, uh, Jeff has a great cozy setup behind him with the fire fire roaring in the fireplace. <laughs> also, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention his wife has also been on the podcast. She was episode eight. Um, Emily, she is a chiropractor who works with golfers as well. So uh, make sure you check out both of those episodes. Um, but Jeff contacted me he uh wanted to come back on he's really adamant and passionate about golf and he wanted to talk about winter training since we're coming into the off season and for those of you who don't know jeff is located in nova scotia so the season for him and myself uh, is coming quickly to a close um but why don't we get into kind of what your thoughts are on winter training um give us kind of your setup a little bit because anyone who didn't listen to the last episode you have an, a pretty great setup in terms of like practice facility and everything along those lines yeah for sure you know i'm really fortunate you know i have a club that supports uh, myself and my teaching partner a lot um and a huge membership base which is really active uh really into to improving and getting better um so you know right now we have four hitting bays uh that all have launch monitors. We have two with TrackMan, one with FlightScope, one with SkyTrack. And we actually have a, a small, or not, it's not that small, it's 10 by 35 feet sort of chipping putting surface that has some breaks in it. So what we do is we, we run programs all winter long for our membership. You know, last time we talked a lot about junior training, but the one thing that, uh, you know, I realized once we started doing a lot of junior training is that adults like this stuff too. So we created programs for our membership uh, and we saw a huge gain in, um, you know, their ability to get better through the winter, which not only helped better prepare them for when the season started, but we really learned that, you know, giving giving a one-off golf lesson to somebody in July 
is really, really challenging. So at the end of the day, you know, that person comes to you, they're struggling. Let's say they're hitting a big 40 yard slice. Uh, you want to make some changes. You're kind of always dealing with, okay, how do I make changes with, uh, you, you know, without totally going overboard and putting too much information into this person's head. Cause at the end of the day, it's July, they're going to play golf with their buddies the next couple of days, or they might be going on a trip. You never know what they're doing. And, uh, you don't want to really change the world on them, but January when there's a foot of snow on the ground, they're not going golfing anywhere. You've got them on track, man. So you're looking at the data right there. They have such a bet a better buy-in to the process. And so like our first lessons that we'll do with anybody in January, you know, we'll sit down, we'll watch them hit a bunch of shots, we'll gather the data and we'll really create a plan for three or four months during the off season. That's going to make sustainable changes as opposed to, okay, I'm going to really get this person's club face as closed as possible. So they stop hitting that huge slice, which then could lead to, to more problems. I'm not saying those, those lessons in the summer are all like that. And I'm not saying that they're all, they're, they're not great either, but I've had a lot of success with that, that process of January, February, March, really working on the technical side of things with not a lot of outcome based, you know, learn, they, they're not really so worried about the outcomes because they're not going to play with their buddies the next day. They really commit to the process a lot better and I think for making making changes like that and sustaining those changes, committing to that process is such a big part of this, which is far easier to do in the wintertime. Yeah, I would say, I mean, one, anyone who's listening, just in general, anytime you want to make a change, whether that's your golf swing or, you know, eating habits, it just takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. And I'm sure like most of us in the summertime, it's we're able to play more, right? We're out doing things with the family, the weather's nice, we're going on vacations, all these different things. It's hard to get time to practice and, and do those different things, especially whatever you may have worked on in your lesson, unless you're super adamant about making those yeah. changes. And it it can be really hard. Like you said, I can only imagine uh, just giving a lesson, like a one-off lesson to someone who wants to play well, you know, tomorrow. Uh, yeah. And, you know, that can be helpful for that for them in that moment, but is that really what they're going to need to make those changes? Probably not um, yeah. what they're looking for. And then, yeah, the winter time is the best time to do it, especially where we are. Um, you don't really have the opportunity to play actual golf uh, on the course. Yeah. You can hit stuff in, in bays and simulators, but again, you're not, like you said, they're not worried too much about the outcome or, you know, having to go play with their friends tomorrow. It's, now they can spend time and really work on, on, on the changes that you want to implement with them, which I think is huge um, because it, it takes a long time for the body to relearn a pattern. And it's not something that just, you know, can come quickly, at least for most people. Yeah, it, it, exactly. It's such a huge benefit. And, you know, you even you're able to do some sort of slow motion things or some mirror work or different types of uh, teaching philosophies or, or training ideas that can really uh, sort of hit home with people over that course of time. Whereas, you know, to get someone to do that in, in the summer and, and really, you know, really focus on that sort of like sort of slower and methodical movement to change their pattern, they, they're not, they're not going to really do it as, as quickly and they might abandon it sooner. Uh, I, I see that all the time where they'll say, you know, they come for a lesson in midsummer and 
things are going really good on the range. And then the next time I see them say, you know, how did it go? And they're like, well, you know, on the, on the course, the first few holes, I was really good. But then I started to lose it a little bit. I got a little bit of anxiety, a little bit nervous. And the next thing I knew, I, I just went back to what I was comfortable with. Um, I think it's so important for people to understand. And I stress it all the time with my students is the only way to make changes and to get better is allowing yourself to be uncomfortable and that environment in the winter where you're hitting golf balls into a screen and just getting numbers and you're not keeping score, it allows people to live in that uncomfortableness for a lot longer than, you know, when they're with their buddies and they're chirping them about hitting three balls out of bounds and saying, hey, that lesson really paid off, didn't it? And, you know, giving them a hard time about it. So to me, it's just such a great a great way to, to spend the winter to get out and do stuff, but it's actually, it's such a, a great learning environment and, and a great opportunity for people to change their patterns and really, uh, you know, live through that uncomfortableness. It, it, it's hard making changes. And uh, even if they work, you know, even, even if right away the ball flight's better, I often hear, well, that it just doesn't feel right. Uh, and at the end of the day, if you've done something for 10 years, then, that's going to feel right. But if it keeps producing the same shot over and over again, or the same shot pattern that you don't like, you have to go through that, that process of it not feeling right in order to, to, to overcome it. And that's uh, that's a, a great ability for, for people to do. Yeah. Now we were talking a little bit before we started recording here and you had mentioned that a good amount uh, of your students will probably not maybe not this year, but usually travel other places so they can continue to play golf. I don't know if that's for an extended period of time or if it's just for some vacations. Um, but I'm assuming that you're anticipating a higher volume and higher number of people participating, hopefully uh, at your club to practice some more and, and improve their, you know, their game. Yeah, I am. I am for sure. We have, we have a big club, a uh, big private golf club with an older membership and, and we have, I'm going to say we have close to four or 500 members that would travel south for the winter, like not for a few wow. weeks. I'm, I'm saying, uh, you know, for, for a few months or five months, they have homes down there. And, you know, due to the circumstances, a lot of them aren't doing that this year. So they're continuing uh, to ask myself and Kyle, who I teach with, you know, when are we starting programs? What are we doing? So, um, you know, it's a tough spot. I mean, think the world's a bit different right now, but for us, it, it could be a really big opportunity to, to capitalize on having a bigger market home uh, than we normally do and really, uh, you know, getting the best out of our membership. And, and actually, at the same time, we're giving them something to do. These people are used to being active in, in the winter and, you know, we do that. We've got some fitness programs that Emily helps us with as well. And, uh, you know, our indoor space, we treat it like a, almost like a, a gym circuit training. So we try, we, we train a lot in groups. Uh, it's a certain amount of time and there's stations. So at each station, there's a task or a skill that we're learning that week. And we just run that program over and over again. And we've had a lot of people do it in the past. And we feel like with, you know, less people traveling this year, we're going to have a lot of people do it this year as well. So we're, you know, really excited for it and we're getting ready for it. Um, even though I don't like winter as much as the, the next person, I'd far rather be outdoors still training, but it's better than nothing. And I think, um, you know, if we can give these people something to look forward to each week or a couple times a week, then that, that's what we're going to try to do. Um, how many people do you end up having in like that circuit group? Um, yeah. 
And then you said that you have different stations. So like how many people are at each station and how much time do you spend um, yeah. at each station? So a normal class, uh, again, it's myself and Kyle. So there's two instructors. We have six, we normally have six adults that we'll train at one time. So we have four, four, we'll call it simulator stations. Like I said, two with TrackMan and two, one with FlightScope and one with SkyTrack. And then we have a chipping and putting area. And we also have a straight putt or a putting mat that we'll use uh, blast motion it's called, which is kind of like a, a device that measures your putting stroke. So we'll, we'll set up six stations and we'll alternate through the station. So it'll be quite quick. There'll be 15 minutes at each station. But at the beginning of class, we'll say, you know, at uh, chipping today, at the beginning of the year, we're going to just work on technique. So we're literally going through the technique, how we want to see a low bump and run shot hit. And that's all that person is doing at that particular station we're monitoring. The full swing stations, that's going to be geared towards that individual. So whatever that individual is working on, there will be a technical full state full swing station. So they're going to work on uh, technique at that station. And then one of the track man stations, generally what we'll do is we'll set up a shot on course. They have a great, uh, with their software, you can put them in different scenarios so we'll create like a hundred, we'll create a different shot for different people, depending on how far they can hit the shot. Uh, we might even play with the wind a little bit to create a different variable. So we'll do that. One of our other stations will be a, a wedge sort of test. Like we'll do on flight scope, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 yard shots. Or again, at the beginning, when we're working on technique, we really like doing a wedge station where, where someone's just trying to hit a 50 yard pitch shot. Uh, with a 30 degree launch. So there's a bit of a theory that was done by Andrew Rice. That's a, it's not a theory, it's a test. The best pitchers of the golf ball in the world on a 50 yard pitch shot will carry the ball 50 yards. Their swing speed will be 50 yards. Their ball speed will be 50 miles an hour and their launch angle will be 30 degrees. So that's kind of our baseline for a pitch shot. So we'll work with these numbers on TrackMan. So we're using the technology to get that baseline shot. We're going to obviously show them how to, to do it or, or where they are, but we're dealing with some experienced players as well. Uh, and then we'll have another full swing technical station. So you've got a half hour where you're, where you're working on full swing technical. You've got, you know, some time where you're working on a situational shot on, on the golf course. We've got, uh, a chip shot and when I left out putting putting we'll just we'll use the blast motion and blast motion measures eight parameters so one could be just the uh, the speed of your stroke you're trying to create a two to one ratio it literally comes up on an iPad so what we we like about it is each week we'll come up with a lesson plan different objectives at each station and with the technology which is really user-friendly people know what they're looking for and they're, they're trying to just make it. So even if we're not, you know, right there beside them, watching them, they're getting the feedback uh, to know how they're doing or how they're, you know, making out. And uh, we really like this self-sufficiency of, of some of the, the things that we do. So it's not completely on us. Uh, and we just will change that program each week. So each week we'll have different, different skills at each, at each station and run it throughout the winter and then for some of our programs, we also run like a supervised practice session during the week too, where they can come in and hit on the machines. We're there, but we're not necessarily instructing the whole time. We're sort of sitting back watching to see how they're doing, 
trying to see if they're able to correct their own problems as, as, as well. That's pretty awesome. I'm like ready to sign up right now. Even it's a lot of fun. Close. Yeah, that seems pretty awesome. Uh, and you know, I, I, as the winter goes on, we actually start competing. I was going to ask, I was going to ask, do you start to gamify it between the groups? At, 100%. At so like I, I would say the first month we don't, you know, it's a lot of skill based. It's a lot of technical. Um, but we have, we have a bunch of chalk or yeah, chalkboard paint on our walls. So we have, we have competitions each, each week where we keep a leaderboard for the week through for our membership to see who's winning. Like we'll create a nine hole putting course and we'll put everybody's name up, what their score was, um, or we'll do a par three, like on TrackMan again, we'll do like a par three challenge. So we'll have the low score and we keep these stats for the weeks. We'll have weekly winners and we definitely start to gamify everything. Uh, gamification became our favorite word about three, four years ago. Uh, and we use it all the time. You have to be careful though. It's the same as the, as the outdoor stuff. You have to make sure that it's the right timing for everybody. Cause if you throw somebody into that situation, and they're still in in a very technical stage of learning. You're going you're going to do the same thing that you, that happens in the summertime. You you could set them back. So, you know, we 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 have different uh, lesson plans for different groups each week based on uh, based on everybody's ability. But yeah, I was going to say, do you end up grouping based on ability if possible? Or I mean, oh, I'm sure it's kind of limited by what their try, availability is. But what's really, what's really great about what we're doing is, you know, if we have six stations going, uh, everybody's station is their own. So we tell them at the beginning of the week, this is the skill you're working on, but you're measuring yourself against how you did in that skill the last time you were here, not necessarily against each group. Now it does start to change when we get into that sort of playing format and keeping score. But we, we do also realize that they do have to go outside and play golf at some point. So everybody's got to keep score. So we do have to put them into that situation to make sure that the skills that we're teaching them are, are holding up and that they're, uh, they're going to work, you know, once they get outdoors. And we do try to create as much of a game-like situation as we can, especially as we're getting into March, April, and we know uh, sort of outdoor golf is, is right around the corner. Uh, cause it's just like being on a driving range. Everybody says they're great on the range, which I actually completely disagree with. It's just, there's no measurements and you don't know how poorly you're doing cause you don't have to hit your next shot. Um, but yeah, I think that's a big part of, of learning. And, you know, we do the best we can in a, in an indoor space to, to try to help people get from the practice area to, to the golf course as well. Yeah, that's sounds amazing. Again, I'm just like ready to sign up. How often is it uh, just once a week uh, um, for like per groups? Different or? programs, right? So it's yeah. about uh, people are getting about four hours a week. It's in different different structures. There's like a structured class each week, and then they can come out and do that supervised practice a couple times a week and uh, take a look at. But there's different packages. You know, you buy more, you you get to come more. You you buy the once a week, you come once a week. So sure. different 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 packages, different levels. And okay, um, I think this year. We actually haven't even finalized what we're doing because we've been working on some other stuff and our outdoor season seems to be extended and not ending really quickly. So uh, we'll, we'll change it. Um, we do one competition. We stole it. I forget who we stole it from. I, think it was, I don't want to say names, but we stole it from someone in the States. It's called The Biggest Loser. So the, the I, don't know, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
We start that in January. That program actually, it's still going. Uh, it starts January 1. It goes to the end of October. It's a group of people who are competing to see who can reduce their handicap by the most percentage. We use that Callaway handicap system to, to come up with a winner. That's actually a lot of fun. And this year we've been asked to do a couples edition. So I think uh, that's going to be going to be fun. And we, we also are looking at doing some like just speed specific programs where we're, we're using, you know, bench starting benchmarks to see how people can get faster because let's face it, with everything that's going on the PGA tour right now, everybody wants to hit the ball really, really far. Yeah. Well, it's, all of that sounds really awesome. I mean, like sounds like your club has a pretty awesome membership and it sounds like you guys do a great job of, you know, creating that culture and membership. What has kind of the winter training done for your membership and kind of the culture at the club? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. I mean, it's definitely, um, the, the winter training has definitely opened people's eyes to, um, sort of like almost like a yearly training plan, which is something we, we really work on with our juniors or our elite athletes, but we actually have students that we see only in the winter. <laughs> they will do their training in the winter. They play golf in the summer. We see them at the club or we'll, you know, see them at the driving range. Um, but they really like the idea of doing their technical work in the off season and then going into the summer. Now, some of them have found like, oops, I let it go too long. I should have came sooner. And, you know, I'll get an emergency call in, in August saying I, I need your help again. Um, so that's really changed their, their mindset on when they need to train. Uh, the other thing it's done for us or for the golf club really is our club sales have gotten quite a bit higher. Uh, just, you know, a lot of club manufacturers will release product, uh, you know, title is just release a driver or is in the process of releasing a driver right now, which I'll put a plug in and say is amazing. I picked up a bunch of yardage last week, so I was pretty excited about that. Um, I've heard multiple people say that you're not, you're not alone in that. It's, 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 it's a fantastic product. I'm like, uh, it's supposed to be here any day. Like I was like, uh, going to the pro shop all day today, be like, did my driver come in? Did my driver come in? I'm, I'm super excited to get it. Um, but because companies tend to release products, you know, in the fall or, you know, TaylorMade, Callaway, they're going to release products generally January when the PGA show is. So what it's done for us is it's given us that ability to sort of strike while the iron's hot. You know, people are at home watching golf on TVs. They see the ads. They want to hit the sim driver or whatever it's going to be called this year. And now we have that ability to do that. So it's, it's helped with club sales. It's helped with, um, you know, that type of thing. Um, and just really member engagement. Our, our practice facilities have never been busier. We, we do a lot, or yeah, I'm saying we, it's Kyle and I, uh, who's not a podcast guy, probably would never come on, but, uh, he'll never, he will, won't, won't hear that. But, uh, uh, we, we talk a lot about creating a practice plan. People don't know how to practice. So within our practices, even in the winter and creating that structure and creating outcomes, and then, then we take that into this, the spring and summer when we get outdoors, we talk a lot about how to effectively practice short game. We do a lot of training with just one golf ball, which kind of blows people's mind because they're so used to grabbing a shag bag and going up and hitting a bunch of golf balls. And we're like, no, 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 don't do that. So you see people now at our golf course, we have, a really great short game facility um, practicing way more effectively. So we're seeing 
our members get better, not only by taking lessons, doing off-season training, but just in their practice habits as well and really changing the culture on that. That's awesome. What um, Go a little bit more into kind of how you develop kind of the practice plan or like whole kind of yearly plan for someone. And I know that can be really, <clears throat> really in-depth and, and is a loaded question somewhat, but yeah. maybe maybe give a brief overview. <laughs> for sure. I mean, well, with, with the yearly training plan, and that's, that, that really is more geared back towards our high performance juniors. And, and, you know, we sit down in January, we mark um, when their big tournaments are that, that year. And, you know, so for us, uh, you know, our biggest tournaments start early July and then our Canadian junior would be the first week of August. So we will work back from that date. So we, we take our calendar, work back, we, you know, starting in January and we start sort of highlighting what we need to do. So for them, we're going to be really technical January, February. We're going to, you know, whether it's short game, putting, uh, full swing, then we're really going to go into that sort of gamification March, April. Uh, when we get outside, you know, I say you can get really good at short game indoors, but there's a lot to be done with you know, reading lies and different situations and how the ball reacts on grass that you can't quite create indoors. So we really spend a lot of time April, May on short game exercises. Uh, but like I said just before is like, it's not about putting 30 balls down. We do a ton of like up and down challenges where we create six shots and our players will have to, if they get the ball up and down, they move to the next hole if they do not, they move backwards. And the objective of that challenge is to get all the way through. Uh, and they can be there for quite a long time doing it. But then we're starting to test, you know, patience. We're testing their temper. We're, we're starting to build on that mental side of it as well. Um, and then we'd like to do more of it. We don't get a lot of access on course. But again, May and June, we're dealing with on course. We're dealing with mapping golf courses that type of thing so like for a junior that's what we're doing for adults we're really staying technical for the most part in the winter except for that the gamification that we talked about and then again in the the spring and early summer we're looking at um you know more short game stuff more short game games but we're not really dealing with them peaking because i you know unless they're playing like the nova scotia amateur or canadian amateur then we're dealing with that but for the club players there's no real peaking involved so as far as a yearly training plan we're not looking at like having them perform at their highest at a certain time which as a coach is actually one of the most difficult things to do to do with young players i don't know if that really answers the question or not but no it does yeah, yeah i would say like just to give a brief idea of like what yeah. you would do i mean obviously you know your elite athletes even like the the amateur adults that are you know really good that are going to compete in like the club championship or amateur events are different than just your everyday kind of bogey golfer for sure i mean yeah for sure um, but, you know the, those bogey golfers we we uh we treat that we try to treat them really you know similar sure. but it's just it's yeah. not quite as as detailed or or precise right. but you know uh we love when they you know have a career career low round as well or, or do something great and of course um you know, just, I think you had mentioned too, just about training outdoors. I, I can't stress enough and anyone listening, um, uh, just how to practice is so important. So I'm willing to bet a lot of people listening right now, when they get to the putting green, the very first thing they do is they go to their golf bag, they grab three balls, 
They put three balls down on the putting green. They putt the first one. Let's say it goes short. They putt the second one. It goes long. They putt the next one. It's right around the hole. And they think, oh, man, I, I've, I've got it. But that is such a poor way to, to practice golf. And, and to me, creating outcomes while you're practicing uh, is such a huge part of it. And we try to stress that with our members uh, any age uh, that they are to, to, to such a degree, just so they can get better. Um, because I would say the biggest thing I, I hear all the time is I'm great on the range, but I can't take it to the course. And that's the number one reason is that nobody actually practices like they, they play. Um, I love seeing people on the, on the driving range who are alternating clubs continuously hit a driver, hit a seven iron, hit a wedge, hit a chip, make it more game-like. If you can, depending on the driving range that you have, uh, create some games. Um, one of the games we do with, with all our players is we'll, we'll select four targets. Uh, and we say, again, similar to our up and down game, you have to hit all four targets. So like just a, a target green. So the ball has to land on the green. Uh, so you hit the ball at the first target, it lands on the green, check, you've got it. You hit the ball at the second target, you miss, then you go back to the first target. Then, you know, if you get the second target, you go to the third target, and we'll end that off where we we make our players create a fairway or, a, you know, a fictitious fairway, and you, you've got to hit that ball within uh, between those two targets to sort of to win yourself off of that game. And I think the more, peop- more that people can train like that, the more they're going to be able to take that range game, which everybody thinks is amazing and, and really take it to the golf course. Yeah. I've, I've talked with numerous other people who, you know, said just that essentially like when you're practicing and you're on the range, you should not just continuously smack your five iron or driver or whatever. I mean, you should go through yeah. and alternate through clubs. And one thing that I love one, one gentleman, you know, gave a suggestion of, you know, say it's a course you play a lot, go through the hole in your head, right? Like if you, if you play that enough, you should, you should know the course pretty, pretty well. I mean, sure. just walk through, play, play each hole in your head and, you know, see what you can do in terms of an outcome. Obviously it's going to be somewhat obviously made up in your head of what you're doing, but you should be able to replicate it fairly well for the most part. You should. I mean, it's, it's, a, that's a great exercise. We use that one as well. I think it's fantastic. So, you know, it's, that's such good advice and, you know, hitting 20 drivers in a row, you're actually just learning to repeat. That's all you're learning to do. Um, so, you know, there is a little bit of repeat with driver. That was maybe not the best example because driver uh, is the only club in your bag where block practice can actually benefit you because the driver is same T height, you know, same lie each time. It is the club in your bag that is is somewhat similar. But, you know, if you hit 20 in a row and 10 are in the woods and 10 are good, then you're probably not doing great. Or if there's no specific target, then it's right. not really that valuable practice. Sure. And then the other thing that this uh, guy said that basically what sounded like you were alluding to for the most part was you need to practice with some sort of consequence just like there is on the course. What I mean, yeah. what do you end up? doing with your students in terms of consequence like you, you know you had mentioned taking one ball to do short game practice with or just yeah. putting like what is what is what is what is your consequence obviously in that one game you had them go backwards instead yeah. of progressing forward yeah we either do that um 
you know, e- even with our adults, like that biggest loser group I was telling you about, we get them to compete against each other all the time. And like, they want to beat each other. <laughs> so creating that sort of, you know, uh, environment where they, they are competing and they are keeping score, all of a sudden you start to see people miss two footers. Whereas when you're just practicing for fun and there's no outcomes, they're, they're, you know, everyone's just tapping those in, no one's making them. But as soon as you start keeping score and, and you turn that, turn the page on, on the competition, it really exposes the, the, the people that are playing and it, it, it shows where those weaknesses may, might show up. But the more you do it, they start to become more and more comfortable with it. And then it gives them that ability to take that to the golf course and to execute it out there. So lots of games within the group. Um, they end up becoming fun too, like I'm saying competitive. But, I mean, it, it's just a lot of fun. You get yeah. some chirping going. You have a good time. Um, we do a lot. Um, have you ever heard of the game Worst Ball? No. Okay, so we do a lot of short game shots where um, you're you're hitting two balls, mm-hmm. but you have to take the worst shot. So it's a, like a reverse scramble. So okay. say you, you we do it a lot on short game. So you hit a chip to a foot, you think that's great. Well, if you chip the next shot to ten feet, that's the one you have to play. Like but that. say you make the ten footer, you think you've made it two, but you have it because you have to make the ten footer again and if you miss it that's the ball you play uh we actually play that game on on course with juniors it is uh it is really hard <laughs> um but it, it it's a lot of fun so you actually keep score but you always have to take your your worst ball and we actually do it sometimes in alternate shot format to even create like a higher amount of pressure yeah, really. so, uh, you know just start trying to create different different scenarios it's, it's a fun game if you get on a golf course by yourself and you really want to challenge yourself that's a good one. I like that. I like that. That's big. That's a big consequence right there. That Um, is a huge consequence. And you always, you always hit that first shot and you're like, I stuffed it. I'm going to be so good. And you're like, Oh no, I've got to do it again. So it creates that, you know, outcome type thinking where now you have to go through your pre-shot routine and reset yourself and get yourself, you know, emotionally ready to hit that shot. Yeah. I always love, um, sometimes I'll go to the range with my father-in-law. We went yesterday actually, and we usually spend some time just doing our own thing. And then he ends up always suggesting that we, we end up playing a game of some sort. And it's usually just along the lines of kind of exactly what you suggested. Like, can we, who can get as, you know, in a set of five balls, who can get the most on the green or who can yeah. get close to whichever target yesterday I was on for the first time in a long time against him, which was felt nice. pretty good. But yeah. Did you, did you take him down or what? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Was, Very good. That's yeah. a, uh, Bad PR move and maybe not great around the house, but uh, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, Those are fun. I mean, practicing with a friend, you know, again, can't stress that enough. I mean, that's how I grew up. That's how I became better at golf is just with my buddies and constantly challenging each other. And um, as adults, people start to get away from that mentality. And what we're trying to do with our programs is to bring it back. We're trying to create this play mentality or this, competition mentality and practice because people get to the point you know where they think game is just this big technical movement and that's all they're focusing on is being perfect but at the end of the day you're playing a game and your practice needs to resemble that and to me that's such a crucial part of getting better but it's also the enjoyment of getting getting better and I always use that analogy if you look at kids in a putting green they're not looking at their putting strokes 
they're challenging their 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 buddies, their friends to to a competition, and that's why they're really good putters because they're they're used to putting with you know with consequence and and with those outcomes. Yeah, have you ever? We played once with my father-in-law and then um, his brother-in-law, his brother-in-law's friend. We played uh, Bingo Bango Bongo. Have you ever? Oh played yeah, that great. I mean, it's a great game, and you don't even have to be it's great for someone who's not really great at golf for the most part. Like you don't have to be good. You just have to have a good shot here and here. And then obviously if you are good, it definitely pays off, but there's definitely strategy to the game. There's a strategy to it because you want to sort of just miss the green by a little Mm -hmm. bit. So you can be, you know, first on and closest or whatever and get those two points. It's a great game. If you're in a group that has different, uh, different levels of golfer, I think it it really, it doesn't really benefit the, the, you know, the, the scratch player, it's, it's, it's open yeah. to anyone. So it's a lot of fun. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's, I think you can add those things into, into your daily game. It makes the game more enjoyable and that's what it's all about. It is. Now, what do you, um, you kind of talked about it a little bit, very, very briefly, but obviously, uh, again, your wife, Emily, she is a chiropractor, does a lot of uh, stuff in terms on the fitness side. How yeah. do you end up, uh, if at all, I'm sure you do it with the, you know, elite players, uh, in the winter time, but how do you end up looping her into your guys's plans, um, in terms of, you know, overall golf performance for your players? Yeah, we, um, you know, definitely our juniors are, are working with her pretty regularly in the winter. Um, but we've had a huge, you know, surgence of our, our adult members too, that want to go see her. Um, we work together, but sort of indirectly she's, her clinic is not, it's like 20 minutes from each golf course that I teach at. So it's not like close by. So basically what'll happen is, uh, you know, people know of our relationship and know what she does. So they'll, they'll ask me, you know, should, should I go see Emily? And obviously they should, because it's going to make my job easier at the end of the day, it's going to make them better and it's, it's going to help Emily as well. So they will go see her, uh, do a TPI assessment, start on a program and then her and I will uh, look at their golf swing. You know, we'll use video to look at the golf swing and say, look, I'm trying to get so-and-so, you know, shallower on the downswing. And she'll say to me, well, that's going to be really hard because they have very little external shoulder rotation. So then I'll say, okay, well, then maybe what I'm going to do is get their backswing to be a little bit deeper or further behind them to allow them to have some space so that when that club does steepen a little bit i've got some time and i'll sort of be you know up front with her and say you know is this something that you guys that you think you're going to get or is this an injury that we can't overcome and do i need to do i need to sort of go off sort of like more traditional movements and create some sort of movements where i'm 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 giving them an opportunity to get that club in a better position in the downswing and that's how her and i will generally work together a lot is not so much at the same time as she'll do her thing, I'll do my thing. And then we'll, we'll compare notes. And, um, uh, I do have to say, I'll give her a ton of credit right now. I'm always amazed. Uh, and I'm sure you can do this too at her ability. You know, I'll say I'm sending you such and such member and I don't give her a lot. Like I won't tell her what I'm working with and she'll do a physical screen or assessment and she'll say, I bet you they struggle with uh, early extension, or I bet you they struggle with this. And she's never seen them hit a golf ball be- before. Uh, 
and I always joke and I'll say, yeah, they do, but I'm really good at manipulating. So I've worked around it. So we have a little bit of a banter back and forth. And honestly, when we met, that was a, that was a huge thing to us because, you know, I, I'm a huge believer in, in TPI. And I think if you want to get to a certain level, it, it's, it's, you know, non-negotiable, you've got to be able to make the movement but I'm also a golf professional and know that I can really manipulate the golf club. And if I have to do something to get that club into a certain spot, I, I can do that as well. Um, and I kind of joke with her all the time. I'm like, look, not everybody wants to go do those exercises. So I've got to be able to do my job without, uh, without you as well. However, I have learned over the years, if they do go see her and do the exercise, not only is it easier for me to get that person to do that, it's way more sustainable. Uh, that's the big thing that I've seen with, you know, TPI is not just their ability to make the movement, but it goes back to what we talked about earlier about changing those patterns. Man, people can really change their patterns when they put the work in, in the exercises and working with uh you know, yourself or people like Emily that really can change their, their, their movements or that uh, muscle pattern. So to me, that's, that's how we work together. And it's, it's a lot of fun to be able to sit at home, you know, and, and look at swing videos and, and talk about different, different scenarios or situations. Yeah. I think that's awesome that, you know, one that you guys are able to have such obviously husband and wife duo here that you can at home at least talk, but at least having that team aspect between the golf pro and, Obviously, she's fitness and medical in one um, yeah. professional. Uh, I mean, that's a huge benefit to both of you know you guys as mutual clients. And um, like you said, it's it's. I think between you and I, I think we have really hard jobs to sell clients changes, right? Especially someone who really wants to make a big change in, yeah. in their game, and um, or like on our end to help them, whatever, get more distance or get out of pain. Right. I mean, it's going to take a while. It's not easy. And you're probably going to suck at, you know, golf for a little <laughs> bit of time. <laughs> and it's hard for people. It's hard for people to get over that. Um, but in the long run, it really pays off. And like you said, those changes that are made are much more sustainable for the long term. which I think if, if people can see past that, yeah, uh, the short-term kind of crappiness. <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. There, there is a, there is a, a, a rainbow and a pot of gold at the end, at the end of the road. Oh, there is, and we've had some people who have really sort of bought into, you know, both sides of it, and and with some some great success. We've had had some really cool stories with with people, you know, really doing well, making some great gains, and and really, uh, you know, diving into both the fitness and the golf side of it. And, and when you get that type of person, it, it really is a lot of fun because, you know, the sky's the limit and you can make some really great changes. So it's, it's a lot of fun to be able to, to share that with her and, and to do that with her. And uh, she's helped me a ton with my knowledge of not necessarily the golf swing, but definitely movement patterns and, and movements for sure. Cause you know, I don't have a kinesio, I don't have a degree in anything like that. I've been doing, golf pro stuff for a really long time so golf swing movements i know but when she starts to get into the the mechanical or the body mechanical movements it's, it's really I, I find it quite fascinating and it sort of connects the dots for myself sometimes where i'm like oh that makes a lot of sense i should have seen that before uh, right. i had this conversation but it's, it's a lot of fun yeah yeah i think that's awesome because i've had some people also reach out to me and i'm still learning some of the pros in the area where i'm at and 
Um, I've had people reach out to me and they go, oh, well, you all, do you also do like swing lessons? I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. You don't want me to give you a swing lesson. Yeah. I mean, yes, I like golf. I'm not the greatest. I've gotten better and I know the swing a little bit, but I cannot, you don't want me to give you a swing lesson whatsoever. Well, Jason Glass makes that joke all the time as well. You know, Jason Glass doesn't, you know, one of one of the instructors at TBI doesn't claim to be a great golfer either. And you don't have to be, you know, Emily, Emily's a good golfer, but you know, she gets the same thing where she's like, look, I can't, I don't know how to tell you how to swing the golf club, but I can tell you which body part needs to to move better to give you a better chance of swinging the golf club more efficient, more efficiently, effectively. So yeah, it is, it is funny how people don't quite see both sides of it. It's the same for me. I'm on the range all the time and somebody will say, you know, I've got a sore shoulder. What should I do? And I'm like, I have no idea. And, you know, it's not my department, but I've got a really good person that can help you out. Yeah. With, um, with the serious, uh, surgence of Bryson DeChambeau and, and distance and golf, and now everyone else is getting on the speed train. Justin yeah. Thomas just came out today saying that he wants to get, you know, a little bit more out of himself. I mean, Rory's hopped on the train. You saw yeah. his ball speed numbers up. Uh, DJ, his ball speed numbers are up. Do you anticipate more people this winter with just with everything that's happening kind of professionally to come to you guys to try to, you know, really pick up their game even more with, with all this? I do. I mean, I think it's, uh, I think this is going to be something that pushes, you know, your industry and Emily's industry as well as, as ours as well. I think, you know, because Brighton is, he's getting fit. He's getting stronger. I mean, he's getting stronger. He's getting bigger. He did it in a much different way than I ever thought would be possible. Like it kind of blew my mind what he did. Um, and it's truly fascinating. And, and to hear these other guys trying to, trying to do the same thing, I think that's going to, it's going to trickle down to, to the club player. And I think that everybody is going to try to get stronger, try to get faster, um, which I'm sure you would agree with this. It, it could be a little concerning because if you want to get faster and you're not ready to get faster, you're putting yourself in jeopardy for some injury. So I hope it doesn't go that route, you know, especially with younger people. Um, I'm always blown away with how fast my juniors swing the golf club. It's, you know, I have three junior boys that are 16 and 17 years old that swing it in the one twenties. It's, it boggles my mind, but at the same time, I look at their movements and I do wonder sometimes the sustainability of it. And Emily and I talk about this to quite a bit of detail of like, we have to make sure that these players are able to support that amount of speed and I don't know if we've actually seen the tail end of that yet. Like how long can Bryson do what he's doing? And I'm not an expert, so I don't have an answer on that, but it's just a question I have. I'm really curious. And if you think about Tiger, one of the most injured golfers maybe ever, he was really fast really early. So did that contribute to his injuries and, and, you know, some of the things he's gone through. So it's, it's going to be interesting. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But I do think that, you know, just hearing even my members, uh, like I was telling you before we got on, like I've got a, you know, 70 or 70 year old member at home with a, a heavy bag and a speed bag and a set of gym rings and working out every day. He wants to get faster. He wants to hit it further. So the, yeah. the, the spinoffs are huge. 
I personally worry about what's going to have come of all of this. Um, and I hope everybody does it the, the right way. And, you know, we don't have a bunch of injured golfers at some point because getting stronger and faster, there's, as you know, way more to it than just getting stronger and faster. Everything yeah. to be uh, working really think, well. Yeah. I think what Bryson's doing is great. I mean, I think it's great for the game. It's definitely the myth of, strength training and doing all these things that it will ruin your game, I think is slowly trickling away from the old thoughts. And it's clearly evident. It's not just Bryson. I mean, all these guys have been working out, obviously again, it started with the advent of tiger, but it's been taken even more seriously over the past, what, three to five years, probably uh, with most of these younger guys on tour. But I, like you said, I'm concerned. I'd be interested to see what Bryson is like in, you know, three to five years and Mm -hmm. doing the same thing and, how many injuries he, he may or may not have racked up. But I think the biggest thing for anyone who's listening, everyone, this is just like PSA, but like everyone is so wants to get more speed and wants to get faster and all that's great. And the easiest thing, nothing against super speed. Um, but those are, they're the, like the most famous company that, you know, overspeed training yeah. to help you get faster. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you don't meet certain requirements, such as having the right mobility in the right places, and if you don't have enough strength in the right things, you shouldn't even be doing overspeed training. Mm-hmm. You have such lower fruit to grab from in terms of improving your mobility if you need to do that and also improving your strength that you're going to get faster if you just work on those things. Then once you hit those benchmarks that you need to hit, then you can then you can do overspeed training. Yeah. And then you'll really be able to do all the things you want to do. But until you don't have your mobility or your strength, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be grabbing super speed and doing super speed protocols yeah. or anything along those lines. Yeah. We've, it's funny you bring them up. We, we looked, or I looked at that about three years ago and was like, Oh, this seems like a great thing. And then I never got it, never trained with it. And I'm, I'm actually kind of glad now that I didn't just looking at some of the research on it and, you know, having the the ability to talk to Emily regarding it all the time. And her just saying what you just said is that, you know, 15 and 16 year olds or even 30 or 40 year olds, if, if they don't have certain things in place, they just can't do it. It's, it's not what's going to help them. And yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to bash that company either, but I've always wondered if I swung something and there was nothing in my way, I'm going to swing it faster than if I would, if I'm hitting something. So I always question sort of a little bit of it. I like it from a movement standpoint, Sure. but you know, the, the measuring of it is not, I, I never quite understood that. If, if yeah. I could swing a, a stick freely at 140 miles an hour with no ball, I didn't know if that was going to equate to, I had no idea what that was going to equate to in my, in my golf swing or my centerness of hit or, or any, any other thing from a golf a golf point of view. So I've, I've always been curious about that. And, um, you know, I've seen some good gains, but it's going to be interesting to see with that company, with some of the feedback on them lately. And I, I don't know if they're going to continue to go as, as they were the last few years, because there's definitely some yeah. side effects of, of that type of training for sure. Yeah. Without a doubt. Again, if you're not, if you're not ready to be doing those things again, you can do overspeed training. I wouldn't recommend it if you're not meeting the mobility or strength issues. Um, yeah because you're just putting yourself at a higher risk for injury because your body's not ready to make those high speed, you know, quick turns. And it's, you're, you're doing it with lighter, 
sticks. There are different weights, but either mm -hmm. way, like you said, you're going to be able to swing faster when you're not actually hitting an object. Also, if you just don't even care, right? I mean, yeah. there is a part of speed training that it doesn't really matter. I mean, if you're just training to speed to swing fast, go for it. I mean, it doesn't really matter if you hit anything or not. But again, those are people who are ready for that. Yeah, ready okay. to, to, to yeah. train faster. It's not those are people who are also really good at their golf swing. Exactly. And, and all those exactly. things. I think they're, you know, someone in that situation, they train with that, they're they're gonna get faster, they're gonna get better. And I think on the same lines, and Emily and I talk about this all all the time, and I kind of got caught up with this with TPI. If you watch, you know, if you watch TPI or you look at TPI's Instagram page and you see Lexi Thompson and Justin Thomas doing these really crazy cool workouts. I'm sure you've run into this. You're like, oh, yeah. no, they're doing box jumps and all these different things. And you're like, oh my God, I can't wait till our juniors do that. And Emily's like, yeah, they're not doing that. And I was like, what do you mean they're not doing that? I want to see them do the, you know, the, the same thing. She's like, they're not ready. And then you see the exercises that they're doing and basics, not the right word, but like, you know, these yeah. stability exercises don't look as crazy as these exercises you see online. And I think, you know, for the, the fitness, you know, golf, fitness professional who's in, involved with golf, it's sometimes hard to make that sell to somebody is like, okay, we're going to do, uh, what's it, what are they called? Clamshells or whatever. You know, right. you, you know what I mean? Like that doesn't look yeah. like what JT is doing or, uh, yeah. Thompson yeah. I mean, they're so important and Emily's really made, you know, brought that awareness to me and as long as, as well as injury prevention. And I think golf fitness is not only about getting faster and stronger but it's about the longevity that people can play at a, at a higher level which i think is just as important as what we're seeing with bryson and, and all of these other other athletes on on tour i just think now with the way athletes are built on tour they're so much stronger so much faster to begin with that they can now do that over speed training push them get to that next level right. exactly everybody else wants to skip those steps and do what bryson's doing but you have to do all the steps in place to, to get there that's a, that's exactly it. And yeah, unfortunately, you know, everyone sees what the pros are doing on social media and yeah. who knows that just might also be a smoke show to you know <laughs> promote whatever. We don't actually see everything else that they're doing. That's but right. I mean, it's so uh, the basics work for a reason and they're the basics. And then, you know, once you can master the basics, like say Lexi, JT, all these guys and gals have done, then you can graduate to the sexy stuff, which even at some point, I don't even know if it's worth your time because the basics work they've been around for hundreds and hundreds of years uh even before golfers were doing this and they've worked for a reason and there's no reason to start to deviate now yeah for sure no i agree completely definitely well i will be respectful of your time you answered our three previous questions i will just ask i just thought of this as we were sitting here but uh who's your who's your pick for the masters here it's hard to go against Bryson at this point. <laughs> you know, we just talked about him a, a bunch. Um, the lines that he's going to be able to take on that golf course, like I can't wait to see him play 13 and 15 because I think he's going to oh, yeah. wedges on those greens. I think he's going to take it so far over the left-hand side. He's hitting the ball that drive last week, 180 feet apex. I don't think there's tree. I think he's going to get the ball over the trees and, and get it into play. So, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be hard to beat and I, it's also crazy to hear the guys talk about it. Like speech saying like it's his tournament to lose. Um, so I think he's, he's in their heads a little bit. So I, I'm going to go with, with Bryson on that one for yeah. sure. It's it, like you said, it's hard to go against them right now. I mean, yeah. 
here's another question for you. I'm just kind of curious your take. Do yeah. you do you agree um, with Matthew Fitzpatrick's statement on Bryson kind of making it a mockery and taking the skill out of the game? Not at all. I mean, uh, you know, people can say what they they want to about Bryson. Like, you know, I'm I'm not sure I'm a fan of Bryson, but the one thing I am blown away by is his knowledge of the game and his ability to take the rules of the game and make them work within, you know, what he has to make himself get to give himself an advantage. And I didn't like those comments at all. I, I, I don't know as a, if I was one of his peers and, and said that, I, I think that was a really strange comment to make. And I think it could be detrimental to his, his career for sure. Cause he's, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a weird statement to make and anybody could have done that. Bryson chose to do it and I give him all the respect in the world for doing it. And he's kind of fun to watch. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's absurd to see it um, is. what he's doing. And I mean, again, you know, he hasn't won everything since he's come out and made all these changes, but he's been, we'll, we'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Jeff, any last like words of advice or tips for anyone you know that's that's listening, that's going into this off season um, for like their their plan, what they should do in terms of winter training? Yeah, no, I think you know, like we talked about at the beginning, I think um, it's a great opportunity to make those changes uh, without having the consequence of going on the golf course. So for for anyone listening up north, like I would really search out a, uh, an indoor facility, find out what their training looks like. And if you could get involved, it's, it's one, it's a great activity to do in the winter, keep you in the game. And the second thing is it's a, it's a great time to, to make those changes that you might not be willing to make mid season where you're going to go out with your buddies and maybe not have, have the best game. So to me, winter training is, is a lot of fun and it's, it's the best time to make those changes and it's the most beneficial for you. Awesome. Great, yeah. Jeff. Thank you again for taking the time out and coming on and sharing all your wisdom and knowledge. All right. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, best of luck this winter. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Healthy Golf Podcast. Again, another great episode with Jeff. If you didn't check out his first one, again, his first appearance on the show was episode nine. I would definitely go ahead and check that out. I thought there were a lot of great insights. In fact, it's the second most listened episode out of all the episodes thus far. So please go ahead and check that out. Thank you again for taking the time out of your day to listen to this podcast and download. I'm super grateful for you guys. And uh, that's it for today. Um, But keep working hard. Keep striving for excellence. Because when you feel great, you golf great.